Do you ever have the uh, feeling you're chasing your tail, that you're just rushing around life and maybe getting nowhere or just going round and round with lots of effort but no real great results? Or maybe you feel, you know, life is controlling you rather than you controlling life. I mean, sure, we can all have that experience at some time. Today we're looking at the life of Jesus and in this we're going to see that Jesus has to deal with the urgent and the important and he deals with them in different ways. And there's always things that are urgent, like uh, who's got a mobile phone on them? I hope you've got to turn to silent because it has a habit of ringing at the wrong time, doesn't it? And when your phone rings, do you really feel the temptation to answer it straight away and see who it is? It sort of interrupts whatever you're doing, doesn't it? Uh, it's hard to resist that. Um, things like uh, you have emails that come and uh, if you get emails and you get a lot of them, you just have to work out, well, you know, is this one I need to answer? Is this one a, a scam I just need to delete? What is it? And uh, sometimes there's deadlines coming and deadlines mean that you've got to make a decision either to do it or not do it or you've just got to do something anyway. Otherwise, the deadline passes and you've already made a decision anyway. We, we often confront it with urgent things, but are they important? Uh, the urgent tender want to interrupt and want us to respond, but are they important? Let's have a look at this graph on the board. This comes from Stephen Covey, a management person. In the top right-hand corner, number one, is the stuff that's urgent and it's uh, important. It interrupts life straight away. So, you know, crying baby, you're going to tend, to tend to a crying baby. Or if there's a fire somewhere, you're going to tend to that. And sometimes you get calls. You've just got to do them. They cut across whatever you're doing. They're important, they're urgent, and they need to be dealt with. Uh, in the second um, column is things that are um, uh, not urgent, but there are uh, ex- there's some things that um, we need to do. Uh, they're um, important to us, and uh, they require they don't require immediate attention, but they require some sort of planned response. Uh, things like getting exercise, having a break, taking a vacation, planning what you're doing. This quadrant is uh, what Kuvi and others say, is where we should be focusing our long-term uh, goals to achieve things. If we keep operating in the number one, we'll do lots of things, but we really won't see much in the end. But number two is the one we really need to be doing stuff in to see some long-term results. And number two has things like uh, maintaining relationships with family and friends. You don't wait till there's a crisis to do it. You need to keep doing it all the time. So that's an important thing. Uh, number two is also our spiritual growth, not just having doing things when we've got to do them, but looking at how we're growing in our, our whole understanding of God and followers of Jesus. Um, that Number two is really good for reviewing where we're going. We're living our lives for Jesus. Where are we with that? So number two is going to require some thought, uh, exercise programs, how we're going to do exercise, how we're going to keep healthy living in whatever ways that's going to look for us and long-term results what's looked there. Number three, um, they're so sort of not important. They interrupt and they distract and uh, they keep cutting in. These are the sort of uh, last-minute things and they're time-draining. The poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part, those sort of things. You know, someone's got a, an emergency, but it's really because of poor planning. You know, they've left it the last minute to raise it up. Um, they could have done it ages ago and they want you to treat it as an emergency because... They just disorganised, or that's how they've done it. Number four is the stuff that's uh, trivia. Uh, really, um, you need to review whether you need to do it at all. It's unimportant. It's not urgent. Um, 
it's items that don't have uh, to be done anytime soon, at little or no value, should be minimised or eliminated. Uh, things like uh, too much television. I'm not saying television's wrong and you can use that to downtime and switch off, but too much, well, do you need it? Or, or mindless getting on the internet and going through things. Good if you're looking for something and checking on stuff, but just doing it over and over, how good is that? Those are sort of things that we need to keep reviewing because if you just let life go, you'll end up in number one and you'll end up uh, chasing your tail and letting life control you or you'll dive over to number four and pull out of everything and just do nothing. We sort of tend to you know, go between those sort of things. How are we going to cope with life and how are we going to control life and not let life control us? Well, Jesus is going to show us how. Let's have a look at the passage. Thanks. Mark chapter 1, verse 34, uh, there's a lot going on in Jesus' life. He's got crowds of people coming to him. Um, he's being swamped by the urgent needs. People who have urgent needs of being healed, of having demons cast out from them. Uh, they've got diseases. And it raises the question, why did Jesus come? I mean, he's got a huge response. He's showing that he's needed and there's something important for him to do. But is it the real important thing? Is this urgent stuff really what he's come to do? It's going to raise that question with him and with us. It's dramatic, it's visible, but will it last? I mean, yes, people need to be healed and they need to have demons cast out. That's, that's an important thing. But in the long term, is it important? Because if they get healed and demons cast out, but in the long term they don't come to know Jesus, where are they going to be? No good. The demons will come back, they'll be worse off and they'll still get sick. So they need to know Jesus in what's going on. They need to come to a knowledge of him. How do they come to a knowledge of him? By doing something miraculous? It needs to be more than that because there's a lot of people seeing the miraculous but only a few of them becoming followers. Look what Jesus' response is in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went out to a solitary place. We don't see it, but it says, well, it's still dark. To them, dark is a big thing because they didn't have lights. They didn't have electricity. The best light you had wasn't a torch. It might have been a candle or a little lamp or a flaming stick, and that's not much light. And so what they used to do is you'd do your outside stuff, and once it got to, to nighttime, you wouldn't go very far at all at night because you have to have a little lamp and you can't see very far, or you'd stay home. And once it got late in the night, there would be just total blackness. Everyone would be asleep because they'd get up at sunrise and as soon as the first light, as soon as it was first light, they'd start doing things. You didn't get up before them because there was no light. You walk around in the dark. I mean, and it was pitch black dark. Unless there's a moon out, there was no other light. And for Jesus to get up very early when it's dark, that means everything is still, there's nothing happening, there's no one around, everyone's asleep. It's an unusual time to get up for Jesus, for anyone. But what does he do when he gets up this unusual time when there's no one around? He went, left the house, left where people were who would get up later on and went to a solitary place where there was no one. doesn't matter where it was, but there's a solitary place. He wanted to be by himself. Why did he want to be by himself? Well, now we see what's happening. Because he wanted no distractions. He wanted to focus on something that was really important that nothing else and no one else would distract him from. And he's going to give prayer 
and prayer to the Heavenly Father, his full attention, talking to God. And he's talking to God, he's not talking at God, because have you ever had someone talk at you? I mean, I'm doing a bit of that now, talking at you. Um, but talk, someone talking at you is, is more than that. They're telling you about themselves and all about them and nothing about you. And they're not wanting you to say anything, they're just wanting you to listen and they're going at you, at you, at you with stuff. Well, how easy can we be tempted to do that with God? We come to God with some pressing problems and we just want to be at him, at him, at him for help. Sort this out, God. Well, that's not prayer. Prayer is actually coming to God and recognising who he is and, and talking with God. But the with God means that we need to stop and think, who are we talking to? Give him the right respect and honour due to him. And then as we come to time to pray, well, then we can then talk about we'll look at later that so jesus is going to recognize who he's meeting with he's going to come with a with with a sense of realization this is god the father in this trinitarian relationship he has a father son and holy spirit he's coming before god and this is wasn't just something jesus did only occasionally uh, we don't know how often he did it, but it was a pretty regular thing. We don't, I'm not saying it was every day, but it was quite often. And there's a few references because, remember, as we look at the Gospels, they're not trying to give us a full account of everything Jesus did. They couldn't. There's not enough books could write that. But they're giving a snapshot of what Jesus did. And so in this snapshot, we're going to see in a couple of chapters forward, in Mark chapter 6, verse 46, he goes up onto the mountainside to pray. He sends the disciples away ahead of him in a boat and then he walks on water to them. In Luke records in Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12 says Jesus went up on the mountainside and spent the whole night praying and then he, then he chose the 12 disciples who were going to be his inner circle. Luke chapter 9 verse 18 said Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were there and uh, he asked them, who do you think, the, who do the crowd say I am? In Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter 22, it records Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. He had the disciples there, he told them to wait here, he went over by himself to pray to God. And he was wrestling with God. He was sort of wrestling with, not God, but wrestling with what was going to happen because he knew he was going to give his life and take all the wrath of God for the only time ever in his life. See the dark side of God that he never, ever experienced so he could take the punishment for our sins. And his prayer was, you know, take this cup from me, this cup of your wrath that I've got to drink, but not my will, yours be done. And so we see Jesus in that said is, is actually he was so um, praying so hard the sweat was coming off his brow like he had it was like blood a head wound just bleeds and bleeds and bleeds the sweat was pouring off his head so earnest was his prayer as he wrestled with what was going to take place he was going to be obedient but he understood the magnitude of what was going to happen Jesus saw prayer privately to God as a high priority. It was important to him. How important it is to us. He told, he told us, he told his disciples, when you pray, don't go down the street corner and everyone see what you're praying. You know, don't stand up and say all these fancy words and be you know, talking to the crowd. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, he said, go into your room and pray by yourself and God who hears your prayer, he will answer them. God knows you're talking to God, not talking to a crowd when you pray.
So private times in prayer to God are important for us. And Jesus is showing us his, his relationship with the Father, his commitment to that relationship. He's depending on the Father. And as I've already said, that relationship within the Trinity is being shown here. What about us? Prayer is not just asking for things. Um, if, we ask, if we think we've just got to come to God and ask for things, we really don't know who we're talking to. We need to stop and think. God God made us and God, God knows everything that's going on in our life and God is holding everything together. He controls everything. And Jesus gave us an example in the Lord's Prayer of how to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, there's lots about who God is and who you're meeting with and, and his will be done, his kingdom come. There's only a, and We're also asking God to forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And there's a real little bit in there. Give us our daily bread. Our daily needs, that is, not just food, but all our daily needs. And God knows every day's needs. You know, sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking, I've got to tell God what's, going to, what's happening, and as though he doesn't know. You know? I fall in that trap thinking, you know, it's my duty or that's going to make things happen. It's rubbish. I mean, God knows what's happening in my life now. He knows what's going to happen in an hour's time or tomorrow or next week or next year. He knows it all. I don't. He does. I might have an idea, but I, I don't control things. And it's always the unexpected. God knows. How important it is in to say, God, just you know, look after my daily needs and give me the strength and courage to rely on you and trust in you. But how often prayers reduce down to all the problems we have and making telling God about them and telling them what solution we think should happen. That's not really prayer we're failing to recognize who we're talking to we're talking at god rather than talking with god and talking with god when you talk with someone you listen don't you how do we listen to god and when we come into god's presence and recognize who he is how do we listen to him i find as i recognize who he is as i go in my mind i'm talking to my creator God is faithful, he's covenant, what he's done for me in Jesus. And I just listen and think, oh, wow, God is so big, I'm so small. I start to refocus on who I am and who God is and my listening to God. You know, I sometimes remember some parts of the Bible as I thought, yes, that's about God, yes, that's about, and that helps me to, to listen and refocus and reshape and realign. Because I sometimes find when I come to pray, I'm going this way and God's that way. I've taken a branch. I need to get back on the track. How often I find that? What about you? And also as we pray, it's, it's not just doing it privately, but there's a lot of benefit in doing it solitary because Jesus did that. But also doing it with other people. But we don't want to fall into the trap thinking, unless, I, unless other people are praying about it, it's not going to work and I need other people. We don't. But it's good fellowship and it's good to do prayer with other people because that's we're part of the body, we're part of a family and God wants that to happen. So we don't want to neglect that. And particularly if our life is struggling and we don't talk to other people about it, they can't help us. They don't know about it. Maybe they can. So it's good to pray with other people. And I find too that I, uh, I like to pray in prayer triplets. Um, it's good to be with another people and pray, but I've got this really great prayer trip. I've had this prayer trip uh, all my Christian life, and it's always there, and they're there 24-7, and they're just the greatest prayer trip ever. 
and so do you. Because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, praying for us constantly. Remember, we're sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit's in us. And the Holy Spirit's praying for us. And it tells me six verses later in Romans 8, 34, Jesus is at the right hand of God praying, interceding for us. So at any time, I've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit praying. And when I join them in praying too, there's three of us. There's a powerful prayer triplet. And I find that when I'm by myself and I can't yeah, talk to anyone and ask them to pray and think, hang on, I'm all by myself here. It would be really great to have some supporting prayer. No, wait a minute. I've got this prayer triplet. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are already praying. I need to pray. And I find that a great personal encouragement. But also finding personal encouragement to have some other people who I can talk with, you know, one or two people about something and we pray together. I find that important too. How important is prayer to each and every one of us? Because to Jesus it was really important. And he's the son of God. I mean, I'm, once it's a moment surprised, he prays. But he shows the relationship he has with the Father, the dependence on the Father, the wanting to do the Father's will. Aren't we the same? Don't we want to be like that? How important will prayer be to us? The second thing we see is important is that he goes on to say when the disciples find him and he's in this quiet place praying, they've looked around, they didn't know where he was, it took a bit of a while to find him. Look at verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. People have been looking high and low for Jesus. He found a really good spot. But they've been looking all over for Jesus. And then Jesus says, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages. But there's all these people come, there's urgent needs for, you know, with disease and healing and, and, and demons need to be cast out. And Jesus said, so I can preach there also, that is why I came. Jesus came to preach. The, the healings, the demon casting out are a part of showing who he is. Uh, he's a compassionate person. He, he sees the needs of people. But he's got a priority. He got, came to preach. And why does he come to preach? You see, he's been refocusing in prayer. He's had this quiet time with God. He's been overcome, swamped by the great urgent needs around him. He's got compassion on the people. And now he's had this quiet time away with God in prayer, which is important. And that's caused him to refocus on why he came. Not on the urgent that's right there, but what's important. And preaching is that. You see, the people who are healed, the people who have demons cast out, have this temporary relief. And it's good. It's right. But the problem is, uh, once they're healed, they're going to get problems down the line. Eventually they're going to die. And that's the greatest problem of all that we have with health. Uh, but also, if the demons are cast out and they're not replaced by the Spirit of God, what's going to happen? The demon's going to come back in number. There's still going to be that spiritual battle going on, that spiritual um, to overcome evil. And so these people, all people need to know Jesus and, and as Jesus said, repent and believe and respond to Jesus. And that's going to be the lasting change in them now and through to eternity. 
And so Jesus knows the importance of that. In verse 39. So he travelled through Galilee, preaching in this synagogue and driving out demons. He comes to overcome evil in the world. He doesn't overcome evil in the world by casting out demons. He overcomes evil in the world by preaching, calling upon people to respond and then casting out the evil that's in them. And as people respond, the evil has to leave. Now we're going to see that um, Jesus' disciples in Mark chapter 6, he's going to choose from the 12, he's going to send them out two by two, he's going to give them authority, it says, over evil spirits. And straight away I think, wow, okay, that's important. That must be what disciples do. They have authority over evil spirits. So maybe you should go around casting out evil spirits. Is that what it's saying? But look what happens when they come back. In verse 12, they come back and they, the disciples um, understood that casting out or overcoming evil was by preaching the good news. Because in verse 12, they said, they went and preached that people should repent. Verse 13, they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So to them, preaching, the, calling people to repent and respond to Jesus, and then the other things followed on afterwards, the, the um, evil spirits and the healing. So the disciples see when Jesus sends them out to overcome evil, to overcome the demons, it's through preaching. It's through teaching about Jesus. And preaching is basically calling people to respond. Calling people to respond to God. to be. And when people respond to God, they're freed from evil. If they follow Jesus, they're now controlled by the Holy Spirit, not the evil spirits. And so the disciples of Jesus will then take this on in Acts because after Jesus ascends into heaven, uh, in Acts chapter 6, uh, the church is growing and growing and growing. And it's had you know, 3,000 the first day, a couple of thousand. It's up around about 6,000 people. We're not really sure. But there's a huge amount of people. And people are responding to the teaching of Jesus everywhere. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, the disciples say in verse 2, it's not right for us 12 disciples to neglect the ministry of the word, to neglect preaching, calling people to respond to Jesus in order to wait on tables. There's a great need amongst the people uh, for um, assistance because some are very poor and struggling. And the pastoral care is urgent. And they need to do, they know it's important to do. And pastoral care will always be there. It's there as we know today. We talk about pastoral care. There's always a thing about pastoral care and, and teaching, preaching, how they fit together. They both need to be done. But here it's showing that the teaching needs to continue to do and get other people to do the pastoral care. So that's what they do. They choose some people who can do the, the practical stuff while they continue to do the teaching about Jesus because the teaching must happen. If people don't hear about Jesus, they can't respond. What's important in our life? There's so much going on. How is praying by ourselves, to personally depending on God, how important is that to us? Do we make the time? And we've got to force it in. I mean, I don't know about you, but it just doesn't seem to come. You've got to make the time. You've got to force it into what's going on to have a bit of time by yourself with God. 
Otherwise, we can end up just chasing our tails, rushing around. Jesus, Jesus done that. He's just overcome with stuff. He has a time out with God. He sees that, okay, that's important, but something else is more important. And he goes on to do that. And then no, later on, he gives the disciples authority to go and do that sort of stuff. And it grows. How important is prayer to you and me to stop chasing our tails after the urgent? And also, how important it is to be promoting the teaching and preaching the good news of Jesus, of calling for people to respond, of getting the message out there and encouraging, urging people to respond. And we're doing that, not just me, me in sermons or other people in sermons. We've got six other people preaching sermons, which is great. But not just sermons. And when we're doing it every week in all our children's ministries, from playtime to ripples to waves to Sunday school, in our youth that restore, in our young adults, we're doing it every week. We're doing it in the primary school, in the high school. We're doing it all the time, every week, telling people about Jesus and urging, encouraging them to respond. And people are responding. We do it at men's and women's events when they come up. We've got a great period of time coming up that each and every one of us should be part of. Because Easter's coming. And Easter's all about the gospel, isn't it? It's all about Jesus' death on the cross and rising victorious. Easter is a great time. And how do we get people to become more aware of the gospel of what Easter's all about? We could invite them to things that happen here at our church over Easter and they'll be coming up soon but there's plenty of opportunities to invite people to to come to things. And two weeks after Easter, a bit after Easter, what's happening then, Peter? You know something's on? Something down the park here, isn't there? Something with tents and marquees and stuff. Hawkesbury Show. Now, whether you like it or not, we've got this marquee plonk in the middle of the show where all the people go into the side shows. We're just so visible. And the best thing is people come there to relax and be refreshed, to have their kids stuff, to have their tea and coffee. It's a great meeting place for people. At Hawkesbury Show, you don't have to go down there and to be the person who's going to sit at the table and talk to people. There's other people who do that. But you can help set up. You can help do cooking. You can help you know, make tea and coffee. You can help do the children's stuff. There's plenty of opportunities to help. And as you help, you're sharing in the preaching of the gospel, the proclaiming of Jesus. And with all our regular events that are going on, our children and youth ministries that are happening, if you help in them, I mean, something so simple as mowing the grass. You know, on the mowing roster, I've only got three people this year. doesn't work when this is about six or eight. Urgently need more people falls back to me or someone else to mow when it gets too long. But just just having things like that helps it because when parents come, they don't have to walk through long grass and if it's wet, get dirty, or the kids have got somewhere to play and they come and they see, oh, this place is really tidy, and that just helps. And there's lots of little things like that that anyone can do to help those ministries. And that's just one little trivial example. But if you're... Even behind the scenes, just helping all the ministries in some little way, you're promoting the teaching and preaching of Christ. And that's important to us. 
So there's nowhere at all that we can say, I can't do something. There is plenty of opportunities. The only reason you can't do it is because you're not willing. And you're not willing if you don't see it as important. More important than the urgent things that come. So important that we can actually put in our diary and make a commitment to it on a regular basis. What's important to us? Jesus... Thankfully, he knew what was important. He knew that he had to have times of prayer, times of refocusing. He knew that he had to hold off with the massive, urgent stuff that was important, but not long-term important. The long-term important was he kept preaching, he kept spreading the news about him, not just in this one place, but all through Galilee, and then over Jerusalem, all through Judea, kept spreading the message as he moved around. Same for us. Let's be people who see it as so important to keep on spreading the message of Jesus.